You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, what's good? This is Rich. And I'm Marcus. And you're listening to the What's Up Next podcast. Ride or die, as in, to the end I'ma ride with you. Mob and get money, get high with you, yeah. Cross my heart, hope to die. This is our Ride or Die. When I heard g Easy spit out these lyrics in his song, Him and I, I had to giggle a little bit. It evoked a Bonnie and Clyde-esque theme that seemed maybe a little cliched and theatrical in today's world, perhaps a little too Romeo and Juliet. Yet excluding the illicit nature of this catchy phrase so often portrayed in rap songs, isn't this the so-called ideal? Have you been to a wedding lately? For better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and health. Sounds kind of nice, doesn't it? Your spouse and best friend is one thing, maybe even your crew. But what if you could form a whole community around yourself just as devoted, willing to chase down the rabbit hole with you, committed, on your side, till death do you part, ride or die? Well, Rich Jones and Marcus Garrett have done just that with Paychecks and Balances, and I'm excited to introduce to you today the PMB family. And speaking of community, before we get into the meat of the interview, I just wanted to remind about the What's Up Next Facebook group. You can find us by going to the website diversify.com backslash Facebook. That's D-I-V-E-R-S-E-F-I dot com backslash Facebook. If you like the conversations and panels we have here at the What's Up Next podcast, we continue the conversation in the Facebook group. There are postings multiple times a day, and it's a real great place for the community to come together and discuss all the important issues of the day. So, Paul Thompson, what's up next? Well, hey, Doc. Glad to be back. And we are having a conversation today about how to build community. Hey, folks. My name is Rich Jones, co-host and co-founder of the Paychecks and Balances podcast, which we've been doing for a few years now. By day, I am still employed. I'm a program manager at Google focusing on uh, internal communications and change management, which I've been in this role for a few months now. So I'm still trying to figure out how to explain that to people. And I'm happy to be here. I am Marcus Garrett, known as the Marcus Garrett, universally branded website coming soon. One T on Twitter because I ran out of characters, but it is the government name. I keep it very simple. Author of Debt Free or Die Trying, How I Buried Myself in $30,000 in Debt and Dug My Way Out by Age 30, Volume 2 coming 2020. And as Rich mentioned, co-hosts of the illustrious Paychecks and Balances. Rich, let's start with you. How did you guys meet? Yeah, it's an interesting story. So before we were in the personal finance space, we were relationship bloggers. So men writing about matters of the heart and why men do the things that we do. And that was probably 2010-ish, 2010, 2011, for a site that shall not be named because we don't want significant others or friends or family going and digging up those articles. And we were ultimately business partners behind the scene for this website. And everything that we did was was virtual. So all communication was via email. I think we did some stuff via text. We might have had a, a video chat here and there. I don't remember what platform it was back in the day, but everything we did was virtual. And then in 2013, I think it was, Marcus stepped away from the blog. And you can correct me. <laughs> I, I think that was correct. And then in 2014, I decided that I wanted to do something a little bit different, not write about relationships. And actually, I wanted to get out of writing altogether. And I realized that what I could say in five minutes would take me two hours to write. So I started thinking about this idea of podcasting. And Marcus 
had I knew he had gotten out of debt. I wanted to talk more about personal finance and professional development. So I reached out to him about uh, starting what, what then was our first podcast, Two Guys, One Show. And uh, we did that for a few years, which then led to Paychecks and Balances, which I know we'll talk more about. But we actually did not meet in person until I believe it was FinCon 2016. So we knew each other for six years. We had worked together for six years. And it took that six years for us to actually be able to meet each meet each other in person. And now we pretty much only see each other at conferences. And Rich, when you first met, uh, was it as fluid as it was on your podcast? Did you guys feel totally comfortable with each other immediately? Yeah. The first thing we did was record an Instagram video. (laughs) (laughs) And it was pretty silly. I'm sure it's still up there, but I mean, we're dancing in the video and singing and going back and forth. So it, it was pretty much like we'd already been friends and we'd already been connected. Now, Marcus, in one of your early episodes of Paychecks and Balances, you've called yourself a recovering blogger. How, what was it like to transition to podcasting? Was it a natural fit for you? I actually forgot about that because I'm a recovering auditor now. I tried to get out the audit profession. That's my day job. And then they just recruited me back. So I'll be announcing that on the show soon. So it's like the mafia, you know, blood in, blood out. As far as blogging goes, I'm actually back in that gang as well. Um, so in some ways, I still don't even though I'm, what, five, six years into a podcast now, I kind of just generally show up and Rich runs all the technical side and makes it work. But I'm still like, (laughs) people ask like, hey, you know, tell me a little bit about the podcast. I'm like, do you mean the technical side or like me just showing up and rambling through for 30 minutes? I do that. So it was an easy transition only because I like rambling and talking off the top of my head. It could be very verbose. And like, even right now, like I'm like going through my mind, like don't cut anybody off, speak when spoken to, you know, those are type of things that I don't do in natural, normal conversations that I have to be conscious of. So I I think it was a natural transition. I like expressing my thoughts and I actually like writing more. That's natural to me. And so I was kind of glad to see the blog come back. We actually just recently won an award. Um, yeah, earlier this year for uh, Best Millennial or Gen Z blog, which was surprising. Uh, that was actually our listeners nominated us for that. So that was good to see. Love the podcast. I love what it does, but I'm still, I'm old school. I'm a senior millennial. I like long 2000 word. I was talking to somebody, eight sentence paragraphs. <laughs> like that's me. That's I'm still OG. And I think, you know, that that's my craft. Yeah, I, I've definitely decided that me, Doc G, I'm the Marcus Garrett of the What's Up Next podcast, because clearly Paul is the technical guy and, and gets all the podcasting stuff done. It And I just like to ramble on the microphone. So that, 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 that fits perfectly. Find your niche. Exactly. Rich, you guys started as Two Guys, One Show, and then you rebranded to Paychecks and Balances. Why? When we chose that name, we were approaching it as if it was really going to be a struggle to get people to listen to something about personal finance or career advice, because at the time, a lot of the content that was out there was honestly boring. We didn't feel like it spoke to us. We wanted to go with the name that was kind of funny, that was lighthearted, that also captured what the show was, where it was two guys and one podcast. But what we noticed over time is it didn't really say anything about what the show was actually about. And when somebody is in Apple podcast or whatever podcast listening platform, and they're trying to figure out what show to listen to, they're looking for signs that this show is going to be exactly about what they're interested in. And the name Two Guys, One Show, while funny and tied to a joke that is uh, somewhat not appropriate (laughs) for this podcast, while funny, it wasn't descriptive to listeners and people would tune into the podcast, not know what to expect. Maybe it was about what they're interested in. Maybe it wasn't. And people would drop off. And we were able to grow a bit of an audience with under that podcast name. But what we really noticed once we launched Paychecks and Balances is that when, is that's when folks really started tuning in. And in terms of coming up with the name, it was one of those things where we went back and forth via Slack because that's our primary communication channel. And there was a point where I was driving and I literally pulled off the road. I'm not sure if y'all have ever had one of these experiences, but I pulled off the road and, was, and had to write down Paychecks and Balances. I think I immediately sent it to the Slack group like, yo, Paychecks and balances. What do you all think about this? And that ended up becoming the name of the podcast. And the thinking was, we talk about personal finance and career advice. I think of myself as the paychecks of the show because that implies day job. And then with Marcus having gotten out of $30,000 of debt, that's the balances side of the podcast. And if nothing else, 
If people saw the name Paychecks and Balances, they would know that somewhere, somehow, it probably had something to do with money. And I know you guys talk a lot about debt, but it's a dichotomy, right, Marcus? It's not just talking about debt, but it's also talking about making more money. I think we've definitely expanded over the years. Um, I do think when we started, and if you look at some of the earlier episodes, actually our first episode was the Paycheck Plateau. And we came out firing. It's probably one of the most depressing episodes we've done, and we've done 145 <laughs> since. And and yet, people still talk about it. Uh, it still does fairly well because we were talking about how soon your paycheck can plateau, and I think it's roughly uh, 40 uh, for most individuals. Like 90% of people will see their paycheck plateau in their early to to late 40s. Not that they won't still see raises because some people are like you know, doing the math and probably pulling off to the side of the road like rich it's just that you start getting um you, you're not seeing bonuses you're not seeing those types of increases you'll see like a 40 percent increase from uh they say graduating college from about early 20s to about your 30s so we've definitely expanded that that's still the most consistent way that most people are going to make their income is just a regular nine to five and to rich's point it's been very interesting watching this personal finance space I would say explode. I think when we came out, there were shows out there, but it's definitely not where it was. I mean, it was like, you know, the the Dave Ramsey's and the the Jim Cramer yelling on, you know, (laughs) he still yells and the things like that. There was like the big names, but it it definitely was where it is right now. It's been very cool to watch that arc, if you will. And so now, and I think even thematic to this show, we're kind of revisiting and even myself as I kind of established the Marcus Garrett, what that brand or what that will entail okay, let's revisit this. We're 145 episodes in, um, at least in the recent year, recent years, we've done more of an interview show. We started off with just Rich and I talking about things that we thought were of interest. Is that the arc that we want to continue to? Is that the future? Is that sustainable? You know, are we always going to have a rotation of guests that we can go to? So it'll be interesting to see what comes next, but I think that's kind of invigorating and, and encouraging to see where this can go and for us to be able to define it. Rich Marcus mentioned that one episode was a little depressing, and he he mentioned Dave Ramsey and Jim Cramer. One thing that you guys have done to set yourselves apart is to really try to bring humor to the forefront. You guys call yourself fun formative. Talk a little bit about how you bring humor into the podcast. Yeah, I think it's an element of being ourselves. I'm a pretty silly person. And that was actually another reason that I moved from writing to podcasting is because my full level of personality did not come out in writing the way it does when people actually hear my voice. And I remember I used to have these situations where I would meet someone who followed the blog and they'd be like, Oh, you're cooler than I thought. And I'm like, well, what'd you like, what were you expecting? Like, what am I writing? That's making people think that I'm, I'm not a normal chill individual or, Oh wow. Like you joke around. I thought you were straight edge. And I'm like, no, I'm not straight edge. And so when I moved to podcasting, I was able to be uh, a lot more of myself. And I, I think uh, Marcus probably does the same and he, and he can speak for himself, but just in terms of our natural personalities coming out, I, Marcus is a fantastic storyteller. Uh, there's an episode, I forget what episode number it is, but when he talks about his Uber fiasco, <laughs> it's one of our most uh, popular episodes ever. And then I think for myself, I can be a bit more serious, but I also joke around a lot, whether people find the jokes corny or hilarious or whatever they may be. And we always want to make sure with our guess that it's not just pounding them for information and for facts and that the audience is laughing or at least chuckling along the way while also learning something on top of it. So that's why we say fun formative where we'll incorporate stories. We'll often talk about stupid mistakes that we've made, or we'll get a guest to talk about a horrible decision that they made. And we're ultimately able to laugh at ourselves. And I think that's a lot of it, being able to laugh at ourselves and being able to laugh at what we know, what we don't know and creating an environment where guests feel comfortable doing the same. Marcus, one of maybe the unintentionally humorous parts of the podcast, when I started listening from the beginning, is I couldn't figure out what the heck your name was. I think Rich referred to you as Wim at one point. I think you referred to you as Wiz at another point. (laughs) You were anonymous for quite a while. What was going on with your name? So I had this, well, the short version is I wrote under Wisdom is Misery um, for 
sheesh, a long time, like since MySpace. So yeah, like that long. And that name actually came from, he'll probably eventually sue me if we ever blow up. <laughs> My friend actually came up with the name. His name was uh, Wicked Mind State. He's a rapper, mixtape artist that I've known for years. And I think he probably still considers him a mixtape art- <laughs> rapper. <laughs> Uh, but he's still an uh, artist. And he was like, he had already gone by Wicked Mind State and WMS was his for short. And we were going back and forth one day. I was writing on MySpace and I was getting whatever you could call a following on MySpace. And he's like, you should start a blog. A few people had told me that by then. And I was like, again, same thing. I'm like, what the hell's a blog or whatever? They're like, it's something you can make money doing. I was like, hmm. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, well, what should I write under? And we were going back and forth, science, same thing like paychecks and balance. He's like, well, ignorance is bliss. And, you know, I'm WMS. Wisdom is misery. And I was like, and I, I've gotten really loyal to it. Like I have a whole misery tattooed on my arm here. So it's, it's, I'm loyal to the brand. And so I went by that for another 10 years, if you will, getting to the podcast. And that's what I wrote under. And I think I had this maybe either millennial complex or egomaniac complex or whatever it was. I'm like, I can't come out. You know, I work in government. I work in the public sector. I have to do everything secret. You know, I can't reveal that like, you know, like the Batman character. I can't reveal what I really do from day to day. (laughs) And as paychecks and balances became a more, first of all, it was probably the most serious but fun brand that I felt comfortable putting my name to. <laughs> I've done a lot of things over the years that I, some of which I'm like, I hope that dies with all the various pseudonyms I've had over the years. Like uh, Rich was talking about messengers. I used to use Yahoo. I am. And I hope that name never comes out. There's all <laughs> kinds of things. And I hope there was no screenshots. And so I was like, okay, first of all, let me clean up wisdom is misery. So I kind of just started maturing that brand and the things that I talked about. And, we also talk about this on the podcast, not going viral on Friday and fired on Monday. So I also started cleaning up what I wouldn't talk about because people want you to talk about controversial subjects. And I had to start saying no to more things too. And then once I felt comfortable, plus I had the book coming out that I can start going by Marcus Garrett. I think we even did a whole episode around it. I'm like, oh, the great reveal. Wisdom is misery is coming out from the anonymous closet. And people like, I think it got like three more clicks. Like no one cared. <laughs> like it really wasn't that big of a deal. I was, I was having panic attacks. I'm like, oh man, I hope I have a job on Monday. And it, it really didn't matter. So this whole anonymous character that I built up for 15, 10 to 15 years of my life. No, no one really was that worried about it. And Marcus reminded me of something else that we do to add fun to the show is pop culture references. We make a lot of hip hop, uh, TV things that are happening, things that are happening in the media type of references, which really help. So I wanted to point that out. And I too used to live behind an alias. So in the podcasting world, I've always went by my real name, but when I was a relationship blogger, and this will probably tell people where to find the things I don't want them to find, but I used to go by the name Slim Jackson, and that was my brand for a number of years. And what was weird about that is there was a point where the blog that Marcus and I were affiliated with, we were actually winning awards, and I was getting interviewed under this alias. And when I would tell people about it in real life, because you know online is, is an imaginary world, when I would tell people about it in real life, they would look me up and not be able to find any of that because they were looking me up by my real name. So it was almost like I was lying to them, even though I really wasn't, but even though I really was at at the same time. And I decided, I said, Hey, I'm doing all this work, all these things that I'm proud of. I need to start using my real name so that when people search these things, they come up. And I even noticed it when I went to update my resume and I'm trying to list some of this social media stuff because there was a point in time where I wanted to go after more of a social media type of job, you know, when that thing became really cool. And when I was listing stuff on my resume and then Googling, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, if a hiring manager sees this or a recruiter sees this and they go to look me up, they're not going to be able to find this anywhere. So it made sense for me to start attaching my real name to things. I stopped using a cartoon avatar. Uh, and I actually put my real picture up and uh, yeah, I didn't face any repercussions as a result. In fact, I think it's a lot more, I think nowadays companies are more accepting and uh, even in, to some degrees encouraging their employees to have a voice online unless <laughs> they're speaking as a company representative or they're saying things that are really inflammatory and getting into the viral on Friday, fired on Monday land, which I never want to be in. And I think one thing that's, 
it's funny now, and we used to joke about it. Now I'm not sure it's so much of a joke, but I really do think it's reflective of the age that we both came up in and the experience that we had. You know, we watched uh, like the first wave of blogs, if you will. And we watched like, I wouldn't say the first wave of podcasts. They actually predated us before we came in, but they weren't as big as they are now. But in going through this story and even just going through life right now, I just turned 37, is it's interesting seeing I was had all this shame. And the whole reason I wrote under several pseudonyms is because I thought they couldn't be unanimous. Like I, there's no way that Marcus and wisdom and misery can coexist. You know, they just got to be like the dark Knight and Marcus Garrett are just two characters. I got to deny it in public. And now to Richard's point, it's like, and when I talk to younger people, I think they really like that. I mean, now I can literally say younger people and back in my day, because like when I talk to college students, they think that story is cool. They're like, wow, you had like this online. But to them, it's just unanimous. And it's funny. My coming of age is is like Richard's saying, like I tell people all at this point, it's for 10 years of my life, I had a pseudonym. Now, if I go to a job interview, I'm like, I have a podcast. It's Paychecks and Balances. I have a book called Debt Free or Die Trying, because I don't want to work for a company that would not allow me to do both. And when that was coming of age, maybe five years ago, um, my father asked me one time, you know, he's more conservative and he did the whole 25 years at one career. He's like, what if, what if your job finds out and they ask you to choose? I'm like, I'll quit. Like, this is too important to me now. I'm too entrenched in this. I'm 15, 20 years in the game. Like, that's my two week notice or one week notice or one hour notice, pick up my box, whatever you want me to do. But I don't want to work for a company that would force me to choose anymore. You guys now have your names out there, right? Both you and Marcus are not anonymous. People know who you are. Do you consider yourself a money expert? No, 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 not at all. And I actually think that's part of the magic of the podcast. And it allows us to meet our listeners where they are because there are lessons that we've learned along the way. And there are things that I do know if someone who had no financial foundation came to me and they wanted to talk about setting up a budget, how to position themselves to save more, how to position themselves to earn more. I could have that conversation with them. But there are also still a lot of things that I don't know. And I think we both make that very clear on the show. And we try to make it very clear in any interviews that we are not financial experts, even though people do label us that way. And there will be times where a guest who is someone that I would consider a true expert says something that I don't understand. And I'll ask them to clarify. And that is part of the magic with our listeners is that when we're going through a show with someone, if a guest says something or uses some terminology that we don't understand because we are not experts and we ask them to clarify, that makes it more relatable and accessible and easy to understand for our listeners. So we more so approach it as two guys who are trying to improve professionally and financially. We've made a lot of mistakes. We've learned from them. We've achieved some level of success, but the journey is very much far from over and we want to bring you all along with us. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later... We'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later... You have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately 
that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor, and it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Marcus, is it uncomfortable uh, to be looked at as experts, maybe by some in your community or people listening to the podcast? Yes. and I say for a long time, it was a title that we rejected and maybe in some ways still do uh, listening to Rich's answer. And it's something I struggle with because I would say I don't consider myself a money expert either. But as far as specific to like, if you want to niche down and all the various things that you could talk about in personal finance and money, I would consider myself a credit card expert. I would consider myself a credit card debt management expert. But I do think when it's somewhat reflective of maybe the society we're in, we just want to make this universal title. And so like, oh, you were in debt once. Why don't you tell us about the housing market? Like I've literally had that happen during interviews on live television. <laughs> and they're like, I'm like, you know, I, I'm not an expert in all things. You know, it's the, uh, yeah, I'm gonna go here. It's the Kanye syndrome. It's like, you're good at one thing. Therefore you're great at everything. And I'm like, I don't think that's how the game works. And so I really try to, but no one really listens. That's what's funny too. I was trying to like, hey, I'm not a money expert. I'm an expert in this thing about money management. I'm happy to talk about that. But they, they being whomever, I'm not even going to, you know, they in the plural, they, they want you to be an expert in all things. They want you to answer all the questions because you've got this two minute blip or you've got this three minute talking piece or you're the one interview they're going to do, yet they've got... 100,000 listener questions they got to get in. So it's it's a difficult balance. And I think Rich and I try to walk that line, but I think it's actually a pressure that we put on ourselves. And I see it a lot. It's actually funny. Um, I see a lot of people that I wouldn't consider an expert calling themselves experts, <laughs> which made me more comfortable. Like, okay, maybe I should step out there more and be more willing to answer questions because at least I'll caveat it. I'll disclaim, I'll give an accurate answer And I'll say what I can and cannot answer. I see a lot of people out there giving bad information. They seem to have no qualms (laughs) and they're everywhere. Certainly, it seems, Rich, that you guys are considered at least millennial personal finance experts. And that would explain winning the Plutus Awards for the best millennial personal finance blog. I had a question about that. Was it a little bit bittersweet winning for the blog as opposed to winning for the podcast? (laughs) That's a fantastic question. Yes and no. Yes and no. I told Marcus, as far as the blog, people are like, oh, great job. And, and, you know, you two have done an awesome job with the blog. And Marcus has really been the person to stand that up and get that back up and running, get us on a regular cadence. I think for for me, I'm more focused on the fact that we were not nominated for a number of years. And then this year we were nominated for multiple categories. So we were also nominated for podcast of the year as well. So um, I don't consider it bittersweet. I, I find it maybe more... I'm not even sure if ironic is the, is the right word for it, where, it's like, where most people know us for the podcast, but we ended up winning for the blog. And I'm happy about that. That's gotten our name out there. I think that we both put in a lot of work in uh, our own ways. Marcus has done a lot to drive the, the blog. I've done a lot to drive the podcast. And a win for one aspect of the brand is a win for the brand overall. 
But, you know, keeping it real, like, would I have liked to have won for the podcast? Yes, of course. <laughs> I, I also know that we were in a very stacked category of finalists. And to even be amongst those names is a win. But by nature, I've had to accept about myself that I am a highly competitive person. I've been an athlete for most of my life. So I want to win. And I can't be salty that we didn't win when we ultimately did win an award when there are a lot of people who've never won an award uh, at this award show. And I will mention too that you guys are not just a podcast and not just a blog, but you guys have educational courses. I mean, you really are a multimedia empire uh, in which uh, the podcast and the blog are a part of it. Marcus, what Rich said interested me a little bit. Was it surprising to not have been nominated up to this year? Not, not really. And I'll maybe use this as an opportunity to talk to maybe other people that are up or coming or maybe wondering why they didn't beat us or <laughs> haven't gotten on the list yet because that's where we started um, when we were coming up and we had a pretty big following at the time and we were definitely generating traffic across both shows and as we moved into paychecks and balances these lists would come out with smaller shows or names we never heard of some of which are not even around and we're like you know, why aren't we on this list? And we, you know, we, you, it's, it's imposter syndrome and comparison game. Like, oh man, did we niche down too far? Are we in the wrong lane or space? And you start questioning, why are you doing this? And so we spent several years um, wondering why we weren't on the list. And I'm using that as a buildup. Now we're pretty much, I wouldn't say standard on the list. It's not assumed like, oh, the podcast list comes out. Yeah, we don't going to be on there. Uh, there's some I see that I'm still surprised. Like, all right, we're not, okay. Hmm, okay. We're not on that. That's what's up. <laughs> uh, but I think going through that experience, having that arc, it also gives you the perspective of you don't have to win everything. There was a time when we were on no list. Now we're on a lot of lists. But as the arc goes, there'll come another time where we're back off the list or we're on like the PGA 40 list, you know, like we're going to be the over 40 or we're going to be the uh, I was writing a blog recently about 35 influencers and I had OG influencers and I'm hoping it doesn't get back to these quote unquote OG influencers, because if I was one of them, I'd be like, what the hell does he mean by OG? Like I'm still a influencer, not an original influencer. And that's what I'm talking about is just kind of watching this arc, this timeline, I think has been beneficial. And I'm trying to be purposeful about that because the inevitable arc is we were on no list. We're going to be on all the list. Eventually, we're going to be on the like PGA Tour back 40 list or the 40 over 40 or the 50 under 50 or whatever it is. And then you're not on the list again. And if I, I'm trying to get to a place where I'm grateful for the journey I had, I'm not always chasing the next trophy, the next list, because that is both impossible and a dangerous place to be. I still want to be grateful for the accolades. I don't always want to be chasing the rabbit or the whale or whatever your metaphor may be. And I will be very honest with this question. I was pissed when we didn't get nominated, the, the, particularly the, the second year. So we joined the FinCon community in 2016. And I found out that year, I think about the Plutus Awards. And it made sense. We were super new. It'd been like a couple of months that we were in the community. Nobody knew who we were. Makes sense that we're probably not going to get nominated and be a finalist. And then the next year, because we were still in the window for best new personal finance podcast, and we'd been on a number of shows, we'd been featured in different places. And I thought, I thought for sure, I was so overconfident about it. And I can laugh at it now. I was already hearing our music playing when we won the award. I was seeing us do the kid and play dance on stage and all this. <laughs> and then when the finalist list came out <laughs> and we weren't there, like I said, I was, I was pissed. And since then, my attitude has changed a bit, and this is something that I've had to work on, and it comes with being a very competitive person, is understanding that I can't keep chasing external validation because, like Marcus said, that is a very dangerous game, and it's very easy to see a list and then start questioning yourself, or there's an award show and you don't become a finalist even though you asked your audience to, to nominate you, and now you're getting salty at your audience because not everyone else came out to vote the way that you want them to. And it is very dangerous because when you're constantly chasing external validation, you're rarely going to be happy because there's always going to be a next level. And that's something we've talked about in the podcast, just for being ambitious people. When you're constantly chasing shiny things, you get that shiny thing, then it's what's next. And then you reach the next level and it's like, okay, I still got to get here. I almost want to call it, we talk about lifestyle inflation. I almost want to call it achievement inflation where 
you pass one level and then now you're on to the next thing. So yes, at the time I was pissed. Uh, when we won this year, yes, I was super excited. And I know we got a video of that on our, on our Instagram page. You can see me almost breaking my back as I raise my hands in victory. But at the same time, I understand that whether we're on one list or whether we're on no list, that doesn't make or break us because we've still built an audience that follows us and is, is highly supportive of, of what we do. And at the end of the day, we, we are still further ahead than a lot of the other shows that are out there, which is something to ultimately be grateful for. Let's take a break in the conversation for a moment and allow Rich and Marcus to rest their voices. You ever find yourself scrolling through Facebook and saying, boy, I wish I could have those next level discussions that they always have on the What's Up Next podcast? Well, now the What's Up Next podcast Facebook group is available for you to join other community members to have those next level conversations. Go to www.diversify.com backslash Facebook. Again, that's www.diversify, that's D-I-V-E-R-S-E-F-I.com backslash Facebook to join us in having more deeper, better conversations about personal finance. Now back to the show. So Rich, I want to talk a little bit about community and some of the things you just mentioned, but I want to do it by pulling a few disparate things together. I didn't know about your guys' podcast until probably six months ago or so when I heard Diana Miriam mentioning that she was coming on to talk about uh, her conference economy. And I got to see you guys in person, get the Plutus Award, and I went back and started listening to your content. What came to mind is something that's always really bothered me. So I'm listening to your content, and I'm like, wow, this is great stuff. And I was really enjoying it. I consider myself somewhat in the know when it comes to personal finance stuff and financial independence. I'm sitting there going, how did I not hear about these guys who've been creating great content forever before this? And it brought back something which I've always known but bothers me about myself is we tend to form communities of people who look and sound a lot like ourselves. I realize this over and over again when I do things that I'm not consciously thinking about it, but I'm doing it nonetheless. And I was listening to your conversation with Chris from Popcorn Finance and you guys had a great episode. And towards the end, you said something that a little surprised me. He said, before we finish this, I need to ask you, you don't often see black male podcasters in the personal finance space. So to pull this whole conversation together, do you think some of this issue about people knowing you, especially outside of your own Paychecks and Balances community, is that you don't necessarily look and sound like a lot of the people who are in that kind of FinCon Plutus community? That is a fantastic question. And as you probably saw in this year's video feed, I threw my head back and had to compose myself because this is a topic near and dear to my heart. First thing I'd say is we, we, we acknowledge that we're not for everybody. And when you look at who our audience is, our audience is primarily African-American or people of color, and it's primarily women. And that I think a good portion of that is because of who we are as individuals. We are black men. So the stories that we tell, the things that we talk about, the way that we talk, those are things that are relatable to people that look like us and talk about the things that we talk about. And because there aren't a whole lot of us in this space, we often do get the feedback, wow, y'all are doing something different. It's so encouraging and inspiring to see two black men having these types of conversations. I haven't found anything like that before. So there's that aspect of it. Now, I do think there's something when it comes to the networks that you're a part of. And we see this, I mean, we see this in every lane and you see it in personal finance, you see it in entrepreneurship where you'll notice there are four or five high level podcasters. I won't go name and names and they're all on each other's shows. They're all promoting each other's stuff. And if you're not part of that circle or you're not part of those conversations, you're always going to be on the outside. And even within the FinCon community, it's been very welcoming. I'm very much in the uh, Facebook groups and so on, but I'm not someone who actively comments a lot because I don't have that much time just because of the day job and everything else that's going on. I know Marcus has his own life that's going on as well. So I think part of it is that for us is, is we have the show, we have the platforms that we're on, but 
there's also trying to connect and get the word out specifically within the particular FinCon community and reaching out to everyone and talking to a lot of folks. And we're both introverts by nature, even though we do enjoy talking. And so I could see how somebody would be like, wow, it's been X amount of time and I've never heard of y'all. Now, do I think that there are people who hear us, hear our voices and hear the approach that we take, which is probably less, less straight to the facts and more fun. And that's not what they're into. Yes. Uh, do I, do I think that a lot of these lists come about because people listen to the same shows that appear on other lists and it becomes this perpetuating cycle where you're seeing the same shows repeated over and over again and new shows never break that list because everyone is reinforcing what another publication or what another influencer has said. Yes. But I don't, think that there's something specific to the FinCon community for why folks don't know us. And I, I'm sure they know us now. Yeah. And I also think, and wow, that sounded really pompous, but you know what? I'm going to put my Kanye hat on. It's not a red one and I'm going to go with it. Um, <laughs> and you know, there are a lot more people who know us now, but also this is just part of the journey. And I've, I've had this theory just from us both, from Marcus and I both being in the online space for so long. What I see is that it normally takes at least three to five years for people to really kind of catch on in whatever their particular niche is or their particular lane and really start gaining that momentum. And I feel like with this particular brand, we're over three years in the game. So, so we're right in that window where things really start to take off. I think winning a Plutus Award is acknowledgement of that. I think some of the shows that we've been on this year, being on this show is acknowledgement of that. And that's going to continue to grow going forward. Do I think it may have been a little bit harder for us because of who we are? Yes, but I'm not going to say that, that you know, we're being held back in inst institutional this or that. I don't think that that's a factor. I think it's an element of time, and I also think it's an element of our approach and then also an element of the relationships that we have, which we're now building a lot more of. So uh, that's my long way of saying that uh, I think the best is yet to come. Uh, the fact that it's it's taken some time, it, yes, it's frustrating to me as someone as who has a competitive nature, but we're also right where we're supposed to be. I don't want to suggest that anyone in FinCon or Plutus or personal finance as a whole yep. is looking to exclude you. I think I'm more frustrated because I see it in myself, the fact that we develop tunnel vision. And for whatever reason, that tunnel vision tends to include people who all, again, look and sound like us. So to me, it's frustrating because I realize I missed out on years of content. I can go back and look at it now. But I realize I make that same mistake over and over and over again. And I'm wondering, Marcus, is, is it frustrating to you too? I, I know it is to me as a content consumer. I wouldn't use uh, frustration to describe how I feel. I think the one thing is I, I honestly don't know. And I think thematic to the question, which is excellent, and uh, Rich's response, everything which I agree with, is you, I think anyone that says they know for a fact would have to be lying because I don't know how they would know. At least that would be my opinion of their fact. Uh, how much further we would be if we didn't look like us and talk like us. I mean, these are all you know, there's too many factors for me to draw any conclusion like, oh, that's that's the one reason or we would have been there. We'd be making this. So I, the, by my nature, the person that I am, I tend to be positive by nature. I tend to think everything happens for a reason. Now, that could be a self-coping mechanism that I've developed <laughs> over the years, <laughs> perhaps if it, if it pays off. And, it, and we tend to be trending in that direction that it will. We've also been fortunate to fail safely. I've seen a lot of individuals who had their tweets come back and haunt them or had their videos come back and haunt them or had their pseudonyms come back and bite them and they lose jobs, careers, people's girlfriends. That's not really something that I feel that I have to worry about because even while I was under the pseudonyms, like I proceeded carefully with the idea that one day this might be something. <laughs> so I'm sure there's something I said stupid at 22 or 23 just because I've been online that long, but I'm hoping that I have failed safely and then where we are right now, I, especially as I've seen the blog grow and the, the podcast grow and you were talking about the courses that we're developing, I'm actually been, and Rich as well, been putting a lot of systems in place. And we said this when we blogged and we joked about it here, like you're one feature from your viral moment, whether it's good or bad. And so when Oprah or whatever Oprah equivalent is now like, hey, y'all need to go listen to Paychecks and Balances. 
and 10 million people come and download that day. I want the site to be ready. I want the course to be up. I want the direction to be, to, to be ready. I want the, uh, the email grab and the lead magnet to be updated. And if that had happened when we started, our site would have crashed. We didn't have the blog up. Like Rich said, the blog's only as, as it is now as a frequent, a year old. I don't know that we have been ready, would have been ready for that success. And I think as far as, um, and Rich knows more so behind the scenes, uh, as far as the, the monetization goes and things like that, like once the money comes in, I also have to kind of look at myself. I literally have a book out there about how I buried myself in $30,000 in debt. Like, could I have handled real money five, like, could I have handled success seven years ago? I almost feel like I'm the most prepared for what success could be whenever it does arrive. And we've had a number of successes, but I, I mean, like, okay, like they are the brand in personal finance that we reach that, that pinnacle. I don't know that I could have handled that earlier. I know I would have handled it a lot poorly than I would have arrived now because of this journey, because of these trials and tribulations, because of the list we didn't make it, because of the awards we lost. I'll be a much more humble. I have a lot more perspective when those things come. And we would also have a lot more content if we got that money back then and then fumbled <laughs> it all away. That's and, true. That's true. And, and on that question, just in general, that's part of why we started this podcast. Because when we first started looking at what's out there and when I was looking at for what was out there, honestly, it was pretty much all white dudes. Uh, when you look at what, what the image of the personal finance expert is, it's a white guy in a suit. I really saw an opportunity for us. And I was like, I was thinking about friends. I was thinking about family members. I was thinking about random avatars on social media and how, when they would hear personal finance or they would hear career advice, they would run away from it as if it was a topic that didn't relate to them, even though it's very much part of their, their lives. And for me, it was, how can we make this conversation more accessible? How can we get people who think that this is a topic that's not for them to see that it's something that they should be paying attention to? Because if they don't pay attention to it, it's going to have implications years from now. And I do think a lot of people have jumped into this space. I'd say that there are a lot more uh, women of color who are in the podcast space for personal finance, and they're definitely making a dent in this lane. And as a result of that personal finance becoming cool. And I'm not sure when personal finance became cool. All I know is five years ago, it was not cool to talk about, but now there are so many personal finance podcasts that are coming up. I mean, there's the whole choose five community. There are all of these communities built around some facet of personal finance. I don't know when that happened, but it's been awesome to see. And I do feel like we were one of the uh, first to be part of that wave of getting these new folks on board and having these types of conversations. I want to build on that. Uh, Rich, you often refer to the audience as FAM or PNB Family or PNB Nation. We, as a young podcast, look at what you guys have done in community building as a model. You mentioned African American females as a big part of your community. Why do you think they connected so much with the podcast? Our illustrious voices. <laughs> 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 no, it's, I mean, I say that jokingly, but we have gotten feedback that people like our voices. Uh, I, I have no data to support this. And even when we were relationship bloggers, actually every lane that I've been in that's been related to personal finance, there has always been more women in the audience than there have been men. And I think that the way that men and women approach bettering themselves is completely different. I know a lot of my male friends, the things that we talk about, it's sports, music, topics like that. And they tend to want to figure things out on their own. If I recommend them a personal finance book or a, a book on just personal development in general, how to get up at 5 a.m., they're probably not going to read that. My experience when I've had these conversations with women, they're much more receptive to going and seeking that information, reading it, consuming it, and improving themselves. So I, I speculate that within the personal development space overall, and I will throw personal finance in that bucket, that there are more women than there are men. And I, I think I think, I think with guys, there's also a bit of ego as well in terms of, you know, I don't need to listen to these dudes talk about money. I can figure this out myself versus I really want to prove and I'm going to take advantage of what, whatever information is out there and use that to become better. And I'm not saying guys or men of color don't care about their own personal development. They don't care about becoming better. I think that they approach it differently. And so as, as far as us, I don't think that we do anything special that 
leads to more women coming to listen to us. But I think part of it is there's an element of word of mouth where if our audience already slants women and women are talking to other women, they're going to keep telling more women about the podcast. And even if you look in Apple Podcasts where it says other shows that listeners subscribe to, they are all women-hosted podcasts, maybe with the exception of one. And I found that super interesting. I think there's Side Hustle Pro, there's- The Brown Ambition Podcast. Brown Ambition Podcast, and then a series of other podcasts that are hosted by women. So I'd imagine- we're also being recommended for those podcasts where it says other podcasts you should, you should subscribe to. And then that's driving women our way. Um, I would actually be curious to hear from men like, Hey, like what, what do you like? You listen to the podcast and you didn't like it. Like, what was it? Like, was, was the bass too much for you? Were you feeling like we were a little bit too close? Like, 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 like what was going on there? Marcus, do you think the demographic is changing over time? No, it's actually been pretty static. Um, and what's been interesting is that demographic, we just did a survey. We're technically running it right now. It stayed roughly that, uh, it's about 70-30. It stayed that even when we wrote for the relationship site that I think we are leaving anonymous right now. And that's been fascinating. And maybe some of that carryover came from that brand. So we were already writing to, uh, we actually weren't writing to women, but the women was became predominantly the audience eventually. So I'm sure there was some carryover there. But I honestly, to Rich's point, I don't, I don't know, maybe it's the voice. I really have no idea what drives that. But another thing is, it's probably only recently for me, maybe more strategic with paychecks and balances, is I kind of, I try not to put that particular pressure on myself. It just makes it easier for me. So I write topics or speak to topics that I find interesting and hope an audience comes to that versus let me try to find something that an audience will like. Cause I misfired. I had a whole failed website, which I think this whole thing is, is funny to be in this place, wherever this journey may lead. I've actually had so many failures <laughs> and yet, you know, people are talking about the wins. Like when we're going to be talking about these awards, we're going to be talking about these wins or these lists that we're on, you know, my nature is to think about all the lists we didn't get on and all the wars we didn't get and all the, the businesses I started that failed or went under when I've been going through that, I used to try to shy away from that. But, um, you know, taking the metaphor, I've really been trying to lean into that because it's like, okay, well, I was talking to a, a mentee. I have a, another mentee that I'm working with right now. Some advice that I've gotten is actually that you is, I'm trying to get into speaking now and being, because I want to put myself out there more to do, be like you said, whether I am an expert or not, I do think I have a voice or a message that I can share now and I've grown confident in sharing. And I was getting some advice from a speaker, a speaking coach. And she was like, you should, you know, you should be more polished and you should be more articulate in these ways and you should do these things. And to Rich's point, I was like, that's actually the opposite. I mean, it was good advice, but that's actually the opposite of what I want the audience to have as a takeaway. And what I told this mentee is I actually want the audience to be like, if this idiot can do it, I can do it. Like I want them to walk away. Like if it's if he can do it, if he can stand up there, I know I can pull this off. I know I can get my finances. I know I'm smarter than him. Like I don't want anyone to feel intimidated or it's impossible or it can't be done. I had to actually resonate in a way where people are like, "Yeah, um, I feel comfortable that I can repeat that system as well." Yeah, and one other thing that I would throw in is the importance of consistency, going, kind of going to the question of audience building. There are three words that we've anchored on that we want the audience to experience, uh, particularly new listeners and, of course, the recurring listeners. And those words were fun, informative, and relatable. If you look at the reviews that we get, and this isn't touting and saying, oh, we got all the reviews in the world. But if you read the reviews that are on Apple Podcasts, you'll notice that 80, I'd say 80 to 90% of them reference some combination of those three words. And so with the name of the podcast, we make it very clear what people are going to get. But then also in the way that we approach the podcast, if someone goes to read those reviews and see what the show, the show is about, we're going to deliver on that. And we've delivered on that consistently over the course of years. So people know exactly what they're going to get from us. They know almost exactly when we're going to release an episode. We have had some, some weeks where it's like, yeah, we just ain't got it this week and we don't release something. But I mean, for the greater part of, we talk about paychecks and balances and us having been doing this show for almost three and a half years now. But 
we've been actually next month is no this month later this month is six years in the podcast game between the two podcasts so we've been consistent for almost six years now of of doing this and if you want to go back to to blogging writing an article every week for years i mean in in some form or another we've been consistent with our audience for close to a decade now over the course of that time there are people who've gotten to know us uh, we've had the weird experiences or I've had the weird experience where you meet somebody and you start explaining something about your life. And they're like, oh, yeah, I already know that. Like, I've been following <laughs> your journey for the past five years now. And one of the one of the cooler moments that I had was I was at work. And I was checking in at a, uh, in, a in a lobby to try to find out where something was. And someone heard my voice behind me and recognized me from my voice because they had been listening to the podcast for so long. And they were like, hey, is, is your name Rich? I'm like, Yes. And of course, I, at first, I started to kind of back up a little bit because I don't know if they're about to serve me something and tell me I have a kid somewhere. Um, <laughs> but that then turned into a, a really interesting conversation about how we help that person get out of debt and how we help that person realize that they could have this level of progress and how they put friends onto the podcast. And, and this was a woman as well. It's not always obvious to us in terms of because some people think community and, and they think that that means your audience is responding to everything that you do. But you could have a community and those folks are quietly listening every week. They're telling people about the show, but maybe they're not shouting about it on social media because they're shouting about it in real life. And I think for us and we've heard from from guests on the podcast that when we send them to someone's site, like they like they get traffic, they get downloads, they get subscribers. We had a guest on uh, a couple of months ago and she, she sent me a message saying she had 200 new subscribers to her list. And we didn't get 200 people saying that they were going to join her email list. Uh, we had another guest on who was promoting a, a relatively not cheap course. And we've had numerous listeners make that financial investment in that course. So the, so a engaged community and audience isn't going to always look like people responding to every tweet, to every Instagram post and to every poll. They can quietly be listening in the background, talking about things in real life and ultimately be impacted by your words and your story, and you never even know it. So Marcus, let's end by talking about the future of paychecks and balances. As we've been talking about, you guys really are a multimedia platform. Do you think in the future you will continue to anchor on the podcast, or do you see yourselves going more video or in other directions? I think you've hit it in that we've expanded our brand and maybe even so our thinking uh, that it could be multimedia. And I think before we're just like, well, this is a podcast. And from time to time when uh, we got, we used to just do answer listener questions through the blog. And I think when you just start really opening yourself up to those realities, I mean, actually we went out for a $50,000, um, scholarship we ultimately didn't get i'm still feeling some type of way about it Mm. (laughs) it would have been nice to kind of put that behind us and but the one thing i I wrote down here and i even circled in is a lot of what we've done and still do has been organic and so i think a lot of pride can come from that regardless of where this journey goes because we've had this organic growth this word of mouth growth we uh just hit five thousand on both platforms on twitter which is our main platform we're on facebook as well and on instagram and just i'm also trying to be cognizant of those celebrations too instead of just chasing um ten thousand or the next thousand it's like okay we're we're halfway there we started at zero we started Paychecks and Balance. We could have just renamed our old brand, but we're like, we're going to be purposeful, niche down and see who comes with us on this journey. So to see that 5,000 people have, and hopefully the next five to 10,000 will, that's been super cool. And so I think for me, I really haven't defined it. I mean, I have a, a vision, but my vision or my personal mission statement is is very simple. It's uh, to become a millionaire. And so uh, for me, by whatever means necessary, you know, legal and, and things like that, I also have kind of learned that I don't need to define it so specifically that it limits me to the possibilities of what could be out there. Because a lot of times I'm like, hey, I think we're going to do this and that's going to be cool. It leads to so many other pathways, many of which I didn't see coming or didn't even know were pathways that we could follow. So it's just like, okay, I just want to be open to the journey. I would like to make a lot of money doing that journey and I'd like to help a lot of people along the way. Yeah, I definitely agree with uh, what Marcus is saying there. And 
a lot of what we do in the future is dependent on time as well <laughs> because we do both have day jobs. So maintaining the podcast, maintaining the blog. I know we've gotten the question before about video. My place where I live now isn't exactly conducive to video on a regular basis. I'm in a bedroom closet, leaned over, recording into this mic right now. And I imagine as we continue to see more growth in the business side and we're able to free up additional time that maybe we'll be able to go into some additional mediums. And yeah, I, right now I couldn't commit to saying, you know what, we, the P the P and B weekly video series where I'm out on the streets in the Bay area interviewing <laughs> random people. Like I ain't, I ain't got time for that. Ain't nobody got time for that with, within this brand. But I think also what's interesting for us is, and looking at some of the other co-hosted or multi-person brands that are out there is that we started this and yes, we had our individual brands, but we've primarily grown PNB together as a thing. And part of what we're thinking about now is also our individual brands. I know Marcus has mentioned it. I've mentioned it as well, you know, where we're figuring out, okay, we have the PNB brand and we want this thing to, to continue on and to continue to grow. But we also want this thing to help feed what we each want out of life individually. And a big part of it for us right now is, okay, while we're moving this thing forward that we both love and it's, and it's a big portion of why we, where we are today and why we have the platform that we have, how do we leverage this to individually serve us so that we can serve people in the areas where we do consider ourselves experts or in those additional areas where we do have passion? So it's a, it's an interesting process because it's, yes, we want the brand to grow and we want to keep that moving forward. but we're also figuring out what's best for us individually, given that life is still going on. Well, this is a perfect segue into the final question that we'd like to ask you guys is where can we find you and what is up next? So we'd like to, for you to share with our audience where we can find paychecks and balances and then where we can find each of you individually. And then what's up next for you, Rich? Yeah. So you can find the podcast at paychecksandbalances.com or your favorite podcast player. We're on Twitter and Instagram at PayBalances, on Facebook at Paychecks and Balances. Find me at I am Rich Jones on Twitter, Instagram, and probably everywhere else. I think what's next for us is finishing this year strong and getting content in the bank for 2020. We do have additional courses that are in the works and things that are underway that we really want to get out there for our listeners so that they can benefit from some of the experiences that we've had that we might have previously defined as shameful. And then uh, also for self, I am starting the process. Uh, I do have a, a site on the side called The Show Starter, which is about helping people start and grow a podcast. So I'm beginning the process of creating a course for that site and for that audience as well. But man, this process of trying to manage the day job, try to keep the podcast moving, trying to keep uh, the show starter moving, trying to keep my relationship moving. Uh, it's it's a lot, but I mean, I, I enjoy every minute of it. I would echo all of that. And you can find me at the Marcus Garrett, like I said, universally branded website coming in 2020, working with an editor right now. Hopefully he doesn't hit me over the head for the price. I hope he listens to this show. And I'm also going to have my revised second edition so you can get both uh, Debt Free or Die Trying is the name of the book. That's also the name of the website. But I think the easiest way to find out all things Paychecks and Balances, Rich Jones and Marcus Garrett, is paychecksandbalances.com slash email. Join our newsletter for weekly updates on all things PNB. This has been the What's Up Next podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, and my co-host, Paul Thompson, we'd like to thank Rich Jones and Marcus Garrett. You can catch them at Paychecks and Balances, both the award-winning blog and, in my opinion, award-winning podcast. That's a wrap. As Marcus and Rich talked about in the episode, community is so important. I'm your host, Doc G, and I want to become part of your community. You can find me, of course, online at the What's Up Next podcast, but if you'd like to meet me in person, I'll be at the Economy Conference March 7th. This is a one-day conference, kind of like TED Talks on financial independence, early retirement, and personal finance. And then you can also find me May 1st through 3rd at the Financial Freedom Summit. This is put on by Grant Sabatier, Cody Berman, and PT Money, and they're going to be more more than 50 speakers talking about personal finance in general and financial freedom. I can't wait to meet you in person and become part of your community. You got to watch Doc, man. He'll 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 go, he'll go deep with these questions and like, <laughs> mm. yeah. he's I, I, a I, great I, philosopher philosopher. 
What's up? I like that. Is, is that I like that Melamine whiteboard in the background too. Yeah, <laughs> you know what it is? It, it is a shower board. Like you can get for eight dollars from Home Depot. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I'm so cheap. We'll be happy to do that. Yeah, we're we're always happy to take your stuff and give it to people. Yeah. <laughs> cool, cool, cool. We have no problem doing that. Yeah, we're going to try and follow along in your footsteps. But the problem is, is we don't have these uh, these baritone voice, voices. We need to work on that. Mm. This, is, this is all auto-tune, man. <laughs> no, the, the best was when Chris was on. When you guys had Chris on, it was like the battle of the voices. It was the best. Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I'm, I got to – I actually, when I have headphones on, I talk higher because I'm, like, hearing myself. And I was like – that's why I took one. I was like, I got I to gotta bring the bass out on them. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, yeah, guys, this was a lot of fun. Can't wait yeah. till this comes out. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.